stupid cows. I need your bunch. There's a problem with your machines. Sorry, mate, my foot slipped. Drop your weapon, put your hands on your head, and get down on the ground. I'm just trying to get to work. You're listening to As Bad As It Gets, a roller coaster through the ritualistic reflexes of the obsessive OCD mind. I'm Sadie Kay, and so am I. OCD is an anxiety disorder that is still little talked about and frequently misunderstood in Hong Kong. It's a condition that's thought to affect 2% of the world's population, including two members of my own family. As Jack Nicholson in the 1997 movie As Good As It Gets might say, Sell crazy someplace else. We're all stocked up here. 1997, which is of course famous in Hong Kong as the year that scientists cloned Dolly the sheep. Oh, dear old Dolly. I wonder what happened to her. Let's meet my talented trio of OCD guests. First up, it's the wonderful Charlotte Farhan. I'm an international visual artist. I'm an illustrator. I'm a writer. And I'm the MD of a non-profit online publication called ASLI Magazine. And I'm also an activist to end stigma against mental illness. And I'm married to my best friend, Mohammed. We've been together for 17 years and we have four fur children. Hi, my name's Neil Hilborn. I've been writing ever since I was a little kid. Um, I started doing spoken word poetry about seven years ago. Um, I have two different writing processes, right? Like half the time, it, the, the, the poem just comes to me. It's normally about four in the morning and I can always feel it coming to me in my dream. If, if, if in the dream I'm in a huge field, I can hear it coming in over the hills. Um, so that's one kind of poem and like that's the sort of thing where I just I have to get it out or else I, like, I'm gonna die, you know? Because um, that, that inspiration doesn't come all the time. The other thing I've tried to do is just write every single day, even if it sucks, even if it's like the worst thing that I've ever written, I write it just to get it out of my head. Like, I, I spent so long being like, oh, this poem's trash, I'm trash, and that, that's just not productive. One of the absolute best things I ever did for myself as a writer was just forgive myself for not being perfect all the time. If I got down on myself for all that stuff that I cut out of my poems, I'd never, I'd never keep writing. Watch closely uh, as I introduce you to the fabulous Mr. Matt Ricardo. He is the world's last surviving gentleman juggler. He's Matt Ricardo. He was the first person ever to do the trick. You know the one where they pull the tablecloth out from sure. the table? Yes. You know that one? Yes. He actually puts it back on. Oh. I'll try that again. I am Matt Ricardo. <laughs> I am a juggler and comedian. I'm a variety artiste. Um, I work in cabaret clubs and I tour a one-man theatre show and I do bits and pieces on television and I also write and it's really good. <laughs> in terms of my family, 
I am obviously an only child, if you know me. Uh, I am married. I have a cat. I think that's enough personal information. <laughs> Let's go on with the show. Dr. Barry Connell is a psychiatrist at the Central Health Clinic. I paid him a little visit to find out just how bad OCD gets. He's also my psychiatrist. Oh, yes. Hiya. <laughs> so, OCD. Yes. Um, how bad does it get? I mean, for some people it can be very, very severe. Is it as bad as my condition? (laughs) (laughs) Severe OCD could be more impairing on your quality of life and your ability to lead a normal life than a mild version of bipolar. How do you manage to treat OCD successfully? Everybody knows about people with OCD who fear contamination. The treatment might be helping somebody to not act on their fears. That's the sort of psychological approach. That may be not enough, and then you may have to consider medication. Do you put people on, like, lithium and stuff, calm them down? No, no. Oh. (laughs) It would be something like a drug that everybody knows called Prozac. Oh, so just antidepressants? It's not acting as an antidepressant because not everybody who's got OCD is depressed. That didn't sound too bad at all. But like bipolar... OCD is a spectrum disorder, and what a mild version may be a blasted nuisance, a severe version can be paralysing. I was officially diagnosed with OCD at 29, and at one point I was washing my hands at least 18 times a day, if not more. I also started obsessively washing my drinking glass again and again after every use. Sometimes I would even pour out the drink if I hadn't even finished it because I was convinced it had been contaminated whilst drinking. And I actually became a bit sick because I was basically drinking, washing up liquid and sanitizer because I was using it so prominently. I also used hand sanitizer itself as if it was going out of fashion, which gave me very bad eczema on my hands. The reason why I realised I needed to seek help during this period was because I actually managed to trigger myself in having an anxiety attack where my fight or flight was in full swing with adrenaline pumping through me for six weeks solid. That's a six week anxiety attack. And I for some reason thought I could get over it and because I can't really go outside very often I didn't seek any help, thought it would just pass, and it didn't. So in the end, I actually went to my doctor for an emergency appointment and was sedated, medicated, and I'm glad I did because (laughs) I would never want to experience that again. Uh, When I was 11, uh, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. My mother, um, she noticed that I was a... You know, I'd always been a perfectionist. I'd always been a really kind of rigid, odd kid. But she noticed a real inflexibility in my my obsessions and my needs and desires. And so she said, well, maybe we should get this kid to a shrink. Help me! 
the only real tick that I have that you can notice is that when I walk down a set of stairs, I have to hit the top stair with the back of my right heel. Compulsions come out of obsessions, and all the obsessions are based in some kind of fear or anxiety. In this case, the fear is that I'm going to fall down the stairs and die. <laughs> Checking where the stair is, I'm, I'm reassuring myself that the stairs are real, thus assuaging the compulsion. Um, I don't really know where that fear comes from, like I've fallen down plenty of stairs and I'm not dead. Uh <laughs> For me, my OCD, uh, it manifests itself in a, a obsessive need to have things planned. And the flip side of that is, as my wife would tell you, my, my need to have things planned and a sort of very disciplined and regimented um, day <laughs> just makes me a, a, a when we're just having a nice day out right Sergeant Major marching up and down the square <laughs> those nice day outs you have with a loved one where you just wander around and go for a walk and find somewhere to have lunch and I have problems with that I will be reiterating to my wife we're here for an hour and then we move on here then we're going to do this then we'll do this in that order that's not causing huge, uh, you know, relationship straining issues. But it's kind of very, very irritating for my wife. Don't stand there, Corbin! <laughs> Mrs. Ricardo, we salute you. And now for something completely different. Neil Hilborn's poem was a viral internet sensation. Um, OCD's like the poem I'm known for. And the first draft of it was just a angry breakup letter to a woman who left me because, and I quote, um, I'm crazy and my lungs don't work. <coughs> and it goes something like this. The first time I saw her, everything in my head went quiet. All the ticks, all the constantly refreshing images just disappeared. When you have obsessive compulsive disorder, you don't really get quiet moments. Even in bed, I'm thinking, did I lock the door? Yes. Did I wash my hands? Yes. Did I lock the door? Yes. Did I wash my hands? Yes. And when I saw her, I knew I had to talk to her. I asked her out six times in 30 seconds. She said yes after the third one, but none of them felt right, so I had to keep going. On our first date, I spent more time organizing my meal by color than I did eating or talking to her. But she loved it. She loved that I had to kiss her goodbye 16 times or 24 times if it was Wednesday. She loved that it took me forever to walk home because there are lots of cracks on our sidewalk. When we moved in together, she said she felt safe, like no one would ever rob us because I definitely locked the door. At night, she'd lay in bed and watch me turn all the lights off and on and 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 off. She'd close her eyes and imagine that days and nights were passing in front of her. She told me I was taking up too much of her time. Last week, she started sleeping at her mother's place. She told me that she shouldn't have let me get so attached to her, that this whole thing was a mistake. But how can it be a mistake that I don't have to wash my hands after I touch her? Love is not a mistake. It's killing me that she can run away from this, and I just can't. I can't go out and find someone new because I always think of her. Usually, when I obsess over things, I see germs sneaking into my skin. I see myself crushed by by an endless succession of cars, and she was the first beautiful thing I ever got stuck on. An epiphany was brewing in the recesses of my over-medicated bipolar mind. Apparently, OCD wasn't the only thing my guests had in common. 
I'm a writer. And I also write. The other thing I've tried to do is just write. One of the absolute best things I ever did for myself as a writer was write, write. Well said it. My name's Billy Archer and I'm a locksmith. How could I have forgotten about Billy? Ah, yes. Proving that autistic genius is not actually a prerequisite for having GCD. It's 69-year-old Billy Archer in the first of two thrilling instalments of The Archers. My, d- my dad used to tell me um, one of his favourite expressions, everyone's barking mad son, except thee and me, and I'm not so sure about thee. I thought that were a joke, but uh, since I've been an adult, I think he was absolutely right. I think my parents had a bit of OCD. Whenever we went on holiday, which was once a year to Blackpool, my dad used to spend about 10 minutes with his head under, under the sink, switching off water. And I asked him why, he said it was in case it would freeze, because frozen pipes would leak and the house would be flooded. But it was July. So I don't know why he did it, but he was very concerned to switch water off. And then my mother, she'd always the last one out of house when taxi was there to take us to the railway station. And she'd, um, she'd shut front door, pull it to after her, and then she'd spend five minutes shoving it, shoving it hard as she can. I thought, oh, what's she doing? She's trying to break back in again. She's forgotten key. But she was just making sure it was shut. And so there's a little bit, I think, of wanted to check and double check but it was only really in my 20s and 30s that, that, that I realised I, I think I had OCD and it usually manifested itself at its worst once a year when it was time like my mum and dad for the annual holiday um, I got a wife and a couple of boys by then and I used to bundle them in the car with old luggage then I'd go into house and um, I'd I'd spend about an hour um, just making sure everything was off. Making sure TV was off, all the lights were off. Double checking they were off. Everything had to be off. Apart from fridge, I trusted fridge. But nothing else. I thought the minute we're out, it'd all burst into flames. So I had to switch everything off and then double check it was off. Then I'd check all windows, make sure windows were not only shut but locked. And then the worst bit, we're locking the front door because uh, I put two locks on front door, two extra locks just to make sure. So if one failed, the others would be all right. So I'd spend about, I'd spend about 10 minutes shutting front door then and, and checking I'd locked it properly. Then I go to the car and I think, hang on a minute, did I, I think I left a light on. And then I go back in again and they start all over again. Eventually, my, my family got so fed up with this that um, we bought a camper van uh, so they could make a cup of tea in, in the kitchen in camper van while waiting for me to lock up the house. If you've just tuned in by accident, you're listening to As Bad As It Gets, a roller coaster through the ritualistic reflexes of the obsessive OCD mind. And of course, wherever there's talk of a mental health condition, there's a publicist persuading a down-on-the-luck celebrity to cash in. David Beckham is an unemployed footballer. Ever wondered what's inside his fridge? 
Yeah, if there's like um, two bottles of water and two bottles of Coke and two bottles of Sprite. Yeah. Um, if there's an extra can, then I take it out and put it in the cupboard and hide it. The label's facing perfectly. Yeah. You know, that's, that, I think that's the way they, they should be. Yeah. That was actually braver, Bex, to talk about his Coke addiction. The fizzy drink variety, obviously. John Richardson is a British comedian who talks openly about his condition and his stand-up comedy routines. It's important how you talk, because people decide very quickly whether they can be bothered to listen to you or not. Um, school was the last time I was really happy with myself, I think. Because um, school, you don't know who you are, you're still learning. You go to university to find out who you are. And I went to university and found out I like stuff tidy and in its place. <laughs> Back to Gentleman Juggler. Matt Ricardo. Can comedy erase stigma? I'm a believer that anything can be funny. Just as satire and political comedy are all about shared ideals, personal comedy that involves things like mental health can be about shared experiences, shared feelings, even if they are feelings of sadness, panic and confusion. Sometimes just hearing that somebody else feels them too can be something huge. That's when art and performance and culture can create feelings of community, connection and belonging. It's just as powerful for me being able to make people laugh with my own stories about it as it is, hopefully, for someone sitting in the audience hearing me. They forget their troubles and I forget mine. Perfect. (laughs) Of course it was perfect. He's a perfectionist. Three is a magic number. Um, I also have an issue with the ritual of the number three. So I do most things in threes and I feel like if I don't do things in threes something bad may happen so for example with my husband if he doesn't give me three kisses when he's going off to bed or if he's going out to work I believe that he'll die or I'll die this is definitely one that has been around the longest I would feel Um, the thing I noticed probably in childhood even was this obsession with three. Three. What does it all mean? The three amigos! Oh, words, actions or images that have dominated my life unhelpfully. Now we're getting into the the really not fun stuff. Uh, Death. Oh my God! When there's no image on the TV screen... That's the image that comes up. When there's no conscious thoughts in my head, it's my screensaver. If I don't do something on the computer that is my brain for a few seconds, it just sometimes flips back to the screensaver of, hey, don't forget, you're going to die, and that is inevitable. Is he dead yet? (laughs) No! Um, It got so bad in the end... I went to doctors about it. Well, I say I went to doctors. My wife forced me to go to doctors about it. She was sick of it. She had patients of her saying, really. Anyway, I went to doctors and I was so embarrassed. I don't know, I thought, oh, what, what, what am I going to say to doctor? It takes me five hours to lock up house. Everything's got to be symmetrical. Um, you know, it's crazy, really. So uh, anyway, my time came, went in to see doctor. And uh, he, he looked very busy. He, he was busy writing when I went in. I plucked up courage in the end and I said, he said, what's the problem? 
And I said, uh, well, doctor, I said, uh, and, uh, and, and then my courage failed me. I said, I, I've got hemorrhoids. And he, hemorrhoids, he said, oh, how long have you had them? Uh, and I said, well, a few days now, it's quite painful. So he said, well, have a look. I was a bit embarrassed because he had a look and there was nothing there. So he saw they seemed to have receded. But here's some, here's some suppositories. Stick those up your bottom twice a day and it'll be all right. So I went home and my wife said, what did he say? And uh, I just said, well, he thinks I'm a bit crackers. But um, not to worry about it. It'll probably clear up on its own. So she wasn't very impressed with that. She said, well, I'm going to come back to the doctors with you next time and I'll give him a piece of my mind. So anyway, she didn't, thank God. Uh, but I was so embarrassed. And, and I think that's, a, that's a, a characteristic of people with OCD. You think you're unusual and you're so embarrassed by your behaviour that you don't want to share it with anybody and you won't even tell a doctor. And it's only, it's only now, now that I'm an old man, that I don't mind talking about it. Funny, isn't it? Do you find that a lot of older people maybe don't come forward and get a diagnosis? Well, that's more recently recognised that OCD is one of those sort of hidden secret conditions. Yeah. So the time between probably having your first symptoms and coming out or getting the right sort of (laughs) diagnosis or help can be many, many years because they have these thoughts that they sort of feel are strange or silly, craziness or mental weakness. They're embarrassed about them. They're worried what people will think, so they keep it to themselves. Yeah. It seems to be a somewhat cyclical condition. We what talk does that about mean? it. Comes and goes. <laughs> oh, okay. It used to be described as a waxing and waning condition. Ah. So it may be that somebody has a period of OCD. It may go away completely for some years, but it may come back. But if the treatment first time worked, the chances are it'll work again. We were becoming hysterical. You know, like all psychological or mental health difficulties or problems, people do feel somewhat nervous to talk about them. They feel ashamed. They feel like... They shouldn't be experiencing these things. Yeah. Out there in the world, stigma also involves people making jokes or treating people differently. Have my guests experienced the dark side of mental illness? I really haven't experienced much stigma about mental health issues at all. OCD, and I can say this myself, it it can be funny because it it can be so specific and ridiculous. To someone outside of that, it looks funny. It's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. It is kind of funny and silly, but also it makes an itch go away. So, yeah, I think OCD gets a bit of a sort of dig. But I think that will lessen. Bring it! 
It's mind-blowing to me, this sort of stigma that we have. Uh, a mental illness is something shameful. It's something that you should only talk about with your parents and your therapist, and that's it. I would say I've definitely received stigma. And I would say that started when I was a child. I grew up in a family where we just kind of talked about it. It was just something that happened and it wasn't shameful. It was just what was going on with me. I was, I mean, I haven't really had a chance to ever live without it. <laughs> but stigma's everywhere. I know what I've suffered in respect to the disadvantages I've had due to the stigma. So stigma is definitely something that we need to fight. Do my guests have any last words of advice? 50% of people, all people, are experiencing right now some kind of mental dysfunction. So if it's not you, it's the person sitting next to you. I don't know how to fix mental illness. I don't know, I don't know how to fix this stigma, but I know that the place that helped me start was being able to talk openly and honestly about it. So if you have a mental illness, find somebody that you trust. If you are that somebody, just listen. If you want to be an agent of change, two things, listen and speak up. Um, so my advice would always be educate yourself or finding a support group or even, you know, finding like little Facebook groups out there you know, so you don't feel alone. Having a mental illness, it does not make you weak in character or personality. It doesn't make you bad. It is actually just like any other medical diagnosis, just like a broken leg or even cancer. I think, again, along with all the other shades of the rainbow of mental health conditions, you know, everyone is fighting their own battles. And it's just a case of learning about it, learning about yourself so that you can be kind to yourself. Don't feel any shame about it because everyone's got something like this. I don't know if that made any sense, Sadie. Oh, my God. Um, so I guess my closing statement is like, what a, what an amazing time we live in. Do we? <laughs> um... What an amazing time we live in that everybody really wants to get in front of each other and talk about it, you know? So, I mean, thank you for having me and thank you for letting me be a part of that. A huge thanks to my guests, Matt Ricardo, Charlotte Farhan, Billy Archer, Neil Hilborn, and Dr. Barry Connell. And posting details of OCD charities on the RTHK website. I'm Sadie Kay. And so am I. Bye!